we go. We're ready for week four of guardrails. And if you're new with us today, uh, you just experienced the most exciting minute of your week. Everybody here watching online can't wait to look at amazing footage of guardrails and roads. It feels like some kind of nightmare that you have after doing an insane road trip. You just can't get it all out of your mind. But there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> well, good morning and welcome once again. If I happen to miss you earlier, my name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here at Downtown Community. And uh, today we're going to we're in the last two weeks of this series, and so uh, they're kind of today's message is kind of like part one and part two, and they're connected together. But what we're going to talk about today is one of my favorite conversations that we have, and uh, we actually did this series many years ago at the beginning of DCC. And some of you might be wondering, well, uh, when did DCC begin? Well, Downtown Community Church, uh, we are officially uh, have been around for six years. In fact, we're engaging our seventh year together. It was seven years ago in January that we announced that we're becoming Downtown Community Church, and and it has been an amazing journey of in, engaging in community here. And uh, we've had we we didn't always meet here. This building didn't even exist two years ago, I don't think. And so uh, we started out about ten blocks away at what used to be St. Anthony's High School near Hamilton Park. And, uh, and then we moved closer to Grove Street Path, and we did our nightclub journey from right around Grove Street, and then uh, we are not too far from here. And then God has blessed us to be back here this year after being online only through the pandemic and all these different things. And throughout all these years, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of people engage with us. And so whether you've been here a while or you're new here today or with us this month, uh, you're in invited into engaging in community. And one of our hopes is that is that we provide a place for you to come and get engaged in the city and to meet others and, and, if, and, and explore conversation with God, no matter where you may be on that journey with him. We hope this is a safe place for you to come and engage God and ask your questions with him. One of the great ways to connect with us is through dinner groups. And uh, we started those back this month, and they week, meet weekly. We have men's and women's dinner groups that meet in this area. And then once a month, we do an amazing serving event at the Sharing Place Food Pantry. And the next one's going to be on February 17th, I believe. And uh, we help get them ready for their monthly food distribution. And so there's, those are two great ways for you to connect with us. And then next Sunday, the first Sunday of the month, we have a welcome gathering. And if you want to find out more about our story, you can join me after the service. We'd love to have you there. So there you go. Um, just I wanted to start off with that. And then I just want to engage in this, this conversation today of guardrails. Guardrails in, in real life are designed to protect you. And we've all kind of get that part of it, but they also direct you. They give you direction, and they help you. And if, you ever know, if you're driving a bad snowstorm yesterday, you would have been really, really thankful for a guardrail to give you direction and protect you from whatever could have happened. And so they're designed to minimize the damage. So if you hit one, you're going to take some damage, but it's minimal in comparison to what could have happened. And then the other thing is that they're placed in a safe area. If you ever look, they're usually not in a place like where it's like the guardrail in a cliff. They're in a drivable area of the road. And so you need to, that's a lesson for us. And so we're learning in this series, as you probably guessed, to apply personal guardrails in our lives. And, and a personal guardrail is something that it, it dings your conscience. And it's done in a safe area. This is about you. It's a, it's a personal decision. It's not something you hold somebody else to. But you are, there are things in your life that you're prone to do that will lead you to danger. But if you put a guardrail in place, somebody will probably make fun of you because that's just what culture does. They will mock you. 
And then when you fall off the edge of the cliff, whatever line that you flirt with, then they'll mock you again for the decision that you made. And so you'll take some dings to the guardrails you put in your life, but you will have fewer regrets. It will keep you from making the decisions that you look back on and wish you had never had done. But what is it about us that makes us do dumb decisions? Like, what's, I mean, what is it in us that makes us say horrible things to other people and hurt them and, and cause emotional scars? It's just so interesting. And, if, and, and it's amazing how young we start. Like, this starts as early as it possibly can. I remember uh, I, had a, I have a younger sister. And, in fact, in, I think it's still there. In my parents' house, there's a picture of us together. We both were in a wedding together, like, at five or six years old. We were super young. And so uh, she was a flower girl, and I was the ring bearer. And I had this crazy nice suit on, and she had a, an amazing dress on. I'm serious, five or six years old, right? And there's a picture of us together, and we're smiling, and it's so nice. And, you know, you can see that it's super, super cute and, you know, whatever. But so that's there. But man, I, I remember this. This is a very young age. I hated doing this with my sister. Like, I couldn't stand her. And I don't know, the feeling may have been mutual. Uh, <laughs> but I remember we had to walk down the aisle together. And as we're walking down the aisle, I made sure right then to tell her, I hate doing this with you. I don't like doing this. With you. And they're like, this is the worst thing in my life. I can't believe we have to do this. And as we're going down, like, she's trying to throw flowers, and I'm just laying into this. Like, wow. You guys are like, you are a horrible person. <laughs> like, but she had her own things that she contributed to this equation growing up. She, and, and she admitted this later on. But, whoop, sorry, let me get this. This is why I shouldn't mess with this. Okay. She would just make up things. And, and she was like the apple of my parents' eye. And she, basically anything that she said was true for them. And so she'd be like, Wayne, did you believe this? Wayne did this. And they're like, what? And I would get in trouble. And she loved that. She, was, she could get me in trouble so many times, no matter what I, you know, or she would do something and blame it on me. A lot of times she'd just make it up. And, and, and we eventually became good friends. By the time we got to high school, we were great friends. We got some great pictures of us hugging each other. So it eventually worked itself out. But man, it's crazy what we used to do. And she'll admit that now. She was like, yeah, I made things up. <laughs> So there you go. So if you've had siblings, maybe this rings true for you. But what is it about our hearts? It's just kind of there. And out of nowhere, in our adult lives, we, we say and do some of the dumbest and har harmful and hurtful things. I mean, we should know better. And honestly, we do know better. But where does this stuff come from? And what's interesting is we usually are confused because we're taught in culture and we just kind of naturally do this. We focus on our outward behaviors. Like we're really good about our outward behaviors. Like right now, you're sitting there and everybody's doing a great job. You're listening to me the way you think I'm the most boring person in the world or not. Like you're still so respectful and I appreciate you guys. <laughs> like, like we're very good about monitoring our outward behaviors. But we rarely think about where does the bad stuff come from. It's there's things that just suddenly leak out of us. And so today I want to talk about one of the most important guardrails of all, and it's guarding your heart. Guarding your heart. This amazing uh, scripture passage found in Proverbs, Proverbs 4.23, and it says this. It says, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Why do you do this? He says, he says, because everything you do flows from it. 
that's it. We can all go home now. Like, that's it. Like, that's, it's so powerful. <laughs> like, just kidding. We're not. Everybody's like, all right. But the, above all, everything you do flows from it. That's a powerful statement when you think about it deeply. And it's amazing if you look into scriptures and, and God has been showing us in his story of us this over and over again. And so, well, how do you guard your heart? Because if everything you do, every word you speak, job you do, relationship you engage, you know, everything you do, going to walk your dog, picking it up or whatever you're not doing, like the things you don't do, the horrible things you say, like the, the anger that you harbor, all that comes from your heart. How do you guard your heart? What does that look like? Well, I want to bring you, and each week we've been doing this, I want to bring you to uh, a place where Jesus was teaching and using just life. He would just engage with life and use the encounters that he had. And I love this because many times he was being opposed constantly by those who were really, really self-righteous. And at the time, they were the, the kind of the religious leaders, and they weren't really in it for the love of God. They weren't actually in it for the love of people. And Jesus would see this and help us understand how our hearts suddenly get to these awful places. And so this is one of these places. This is found in Mark 7. And so we're just going to jump right in, and then he ends with this incredible point that helps drive this for us today. But it says here, it says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. All right, so for most of us, we're like, you know, just, you know, even dirty hands, we don't want to do, right? You should wash your hands. Like, that's kind of gross. Okay, good. Like, we get that now. So that it seems like a simple situation. But for them, this is ma massive. And then this word defiled is key. You'll see this very, very, you know, it's, it becomes the center of the whole story, actually. And so Mark explains this. Why is this such a big deal? He says, well, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they're they give their hands a ceremonial washing. And this is key. It's holding to the tradition of the elders. That's a, that's a key phrase. It says when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat. So they can't just pick it and eat it like until they wash. And they, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. And so these are traditions, not actually the law of God. It says, so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Like they're holding this up. Like how can they, instead of eating their food with defiled hands. Now, this word is key because they're not just saying their hands are dirty. Like this word defiled, like implies something bigger. Like, they're insinuating something much deeper and really trying to put, put an onus on them in this. So that's, you know, it's, that's why they say that specific word. And so, well, what is this tradition of the elders and the ceremony of cleaning, cleansing? Like? And so, you know, it was, it was for the priest before every meal to ensure they were always ready to perform some sacred task. And so over the years, they created this tradition of the elders, which is only oral, by the way. So only a certain select, you know, few had to memorize it and keep it. And so it's just like this thing and that they would kind of hold over people. Oh, this is a tradition of the elders. This is something like. And so what they did, they would, they would expand these laws that God had given and, and make them a requirement for every Jew at this time. And so in, in a good sense, they were designed as guardrails to keep them from breaking the actual law. 
But over time, these leaders elevated their importance to equal the law. And they, they created all these, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of little things they had to do. And they made them as important as this. And it just made them go insane. Like it just, they so many things they had to think about and worry about. And they held it over their heads. And so, I mean, our modern day example would be like, well, you should eat the table, but don't take food to the living room because then that's going to make things get, you know, dirty. And so you, but then you make it like it's the law of your home and, and, and you get massive trouble if you do that. Like, it's just crazy how many little detailed things. And so they're like, how can your disciples do this? We got all this explanation. We're good. Okay. And so Jesus replied to him with a question. He goes, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition?" He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Wow. Well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> but honestly, they were escalating it massively. And so he's meeting them. He, this is how, how insane serious they were about this. So Jesus is meeting them with this. He says, Isaiah was right. So he's using their own devoutness in the scriptures. He said, as it is written, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts there's that word, are far from me. They worship in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And I love this because they're well-versed in the scriptures. They've let everybody know that. And Jesus is like, that was actually about you. How crazy would that be? He continues, as you, says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. He continues, says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. He gives them an example. He says, for Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help your father and mother is Corbin. This crazy word that they use, he, and he says, that is devoted to God. He says, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. He goes, and you do many things like this. And so they would allow people, and this is totally out of greed, to declare their, all their property Corbin. So they're saying one day the church can have this, the temple can have this, and then you can do whatever with the money. So then they're like, oh, well, don't do anything for your father and mother. Don't help them out with this money because that's money that we're going to get. Don't sell something to help, you know. And so they would ignore, it gave, got them out of things, so to speak. And it was all about greed. And so they're all about, well, you didn't do this little thing. And he's like, well, let's talk about this. And this happened to them all the time, and this is why they didn't like him. And then he says here, and I love this, we suddenly realize there's a crowd watching this, which is great because they're trying to make a big show, and he turns it on them. And so it says this. It says, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. And so he uses this word defile. He brings it in. He says, Okay, what is it that defiles us? And you and I, we do this. We focus so much on presenting a good self, a good Instagram self. So we kind of still do this today. He's like, no, it's what comes, what comes from inside. Just like Proverbs, it said, everything you do flows out of your heart. And then they move on. He says, after he left the crowd and entered the house, he said, his disciples asked him about this parable. So his closest followers were always confused, and they just waited until the crowds were gone to ask him. So he says, so they asked him, 
He goes, are you still dull? And then Jesus is being a little humorous here. I love this. He's like, you still don't, you didn't get this? So he dumbs it down really far. He goes, don't you see that, that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it, it doesn't go into their heart, but it goes into their stomach and then out of the body. He's like, you get this? And Mark is like, in saying this, he declared all foods clean. Like he's just, it's incredible. That's a whole different thing. But he says, he went on. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from the inside and defile a person. There it is. And I love this because we're figuring this out in our modern society thousands of years later. And in psychology and other things, what's, there's something that digs deep in us and it comes out. And so this word defile, Jesus is saying, yes, you're right. There is something that defiles you, but it's not the outward going on in the inside. And so Jesus is saying, in the simplest terms of this, is, is our behavior will eventually mirror our hearts. What we do, the actions that we say, the actions that we, the, we do, the things that we say mirror what's happening in your heart. And so when you see a politician or someone say, oh, it's just a slip up, I didn't mean to say that, or you and I say that to each other and to our spouse or our parents or roommate, you know, Jesus is saying, no, no, that was in there. That was in there. And they know anybody, this is, this is interesting, that blew up a marriage or a career or their finances when something on the inside got loose. Like we see this happen publicly in, in, in you know, media personalities or celebrities all the time. So what I want to do today, and this is, this is something that was introduced to me a long time ago, and I love it. These four principles that we, we can gain, very practical things that help us understand our hearts. And the next week we're going to talk about the, the deeper part of that. Of what, but th today I want to talk about this very practically. And, and uh, so there's four emotions, four things that if you store these in your heart, become a staging ground for, for heart problems. And these are things that can help you identify and understand what could come out in the future and help you, help you walk through this. All right, so four emotions that should ding your conscience. So you're thinking about, well, where do I put guardrails in my life? You begin to observe this and allow it to ding your conscience. So tip you off that you've got some work to do here. They are tensions. They are tensions going on with you that help you put your attention toward it. So ready? Guardrails for the heart. I'm going to give you all four of them up front. Be really excited about this. Here we go. It's your heart. I mean, for your heart is guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. Guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. Now, it's interesting. Each of these, each of these things say something. And you're like, well, how do I know, you know, guilt, guilt, you, guilt, you usually, you feel it. But each one of these things that, and, and, and I'm going to walk through these, these, these statements that each of these emotions say, 
And it helps you really identify why it's there. So guilt, what does guilt say to you and I? Guilt says, I owe you. I've hurt you. And whether you know it or not, you feel it inside. And you can decide whatever, whatever, what are the rules that you follow in your life? You can define what, what sin is or what right and wrong is, but you've got a standard somewhere and you feel guilty. And you've done so. Sometimes you don't really, you don't know why you feel guilty. There's something going on that you violate, violated something else. You violated someone or even yourself. There are things that you can do that you've hurt you and you feel guilty toward yourself. Guilt says, I owe you. Anger. What does anger say? Anger says, you owe me. You owe me. So guilt, you know, something you say, I, I did something you don't know about. And guilt leads to walls, dishonesty, secrets, hiding. You distance yourself. Anger says, you hurt, you took from so you have to pay me back or I'll pay you back. And that's where our anger comes from. And anger is interesting because anger leaks. It builds up and it leaks. And the danger with this one is it's never isolated to the person of origin. Whoever hurt you, whatever happened, it doesn't, you don't just repay and, and anger come up there. It's never isolated to that relationship. It, it impacts every other relationship in your life. So anger says, you owe me. Greed. What does greed say? Greed says, I owe me. I owe me. Greed assumes that everything that you get is for your consumption. That you need to consume it all and gather it up, whatever it may be. And, it, and then, you know, greed is usually financial, but greed can just be about, you know, possessions, which relates to finances. But it can be as simple as food. Like everything you can, you just consume it all. You go to the limits and edge of everything. And many times we're like, well, that's not enough because it's an appetite. All these things are an appetite and you have to consume more. And greed, as it gets a hold of you because you have to get more, it causes you to turn your back to people. You hurt others in the process. It becomes a filter for all the decisions that you make. And we compete for things. And greed is kind of is contagious in, a, in, in the pressure of others around us. We have to keep going and keep going. So greed says, I owe me. And many times we see something else that somebody else is doing, and like, I need this, and I deserve this. And, and, and we just kind of constantly have to feed that. I owe Okay, so the thinkers out there today, what does jealousy say? I don't know if you're thinking through this, like, all right, well, what would jealousy say? Well, jealousy isn't a whole lot different than greed. But jealousy says, life owes me. Life owes me. Somebody got what you deserve. And that may be true. A lot of times it's not. It's our perception, right? But, but somebody got what I deserve, and you don't like them because of this. You don't like them. Usually because you don't like you. And you celebrate their failure. You celebrate their failure. Jealousy is ugly. <laughs> and it, 
it's rampant. We see this all around, right? Jealousy's ugly. Jealousy is why someone betrayed you, why your friend did what they did. And it's why you'll do it yourself. It's why you'll betray somebody else. And you're like, I would never do that. But jealousy is so deep and insidious. It speaks to you in your heart as if it's a truth. And you will leave a trail of destruction and look for opportunities to even do it again, to keep hurting the person. So when we see this happen, when we see guilt and anger and greed and jealousy, like if it comes out of our mouths or we see it on social media, whatever, we need to remember that these, these are the things that defile us. It's not just, oh, I just made a mistake. No, it's... Jesus is saying this leads to your destruction. It leads you in it. Like anger, all these little things long to become the biggest thing they possibly could. Anger wants to become murder. <laughs> Jesus said, out of these things come to your heart. Murder, like, oh, murder coming out of my heart. No, Jesus said, yeah. In fact, he did. He talked about this. He says, you have anger in your heart? That wants to, you've, you've, it's just like you've murdered somebody. That's what it wants to become one day, and it's just, it destroys us. Now, obviously, most people don't get to that point in their life, but that's how powerful it is. So it's important for you to know and remember this. And so we need to have the practice, when you feel this or you see this happening, to identify it. You need to identify it. And so, and, and so you, this is something that you need to look into work. Here's the thing. It's really easy or you mostly easy to see in other people. So as I'm saying everything right now, you're most likely thinking about someone else. You're most likely thinking about this other person in your life. Oh, yeah, I see it. There, yeah, that's there. They, I'm going to tell them today, you got to forgive me. Like, right? Like, you got to. And so, like, it's so It's really hard to look inward. And this is about you. You can't control the other person a lot of times, but you can't control what you do. And there are things going on in you. And so, you want to do this work. You're, you know, I've said this in the beginning of the series. You want me to have a guardrail. Like, you long for the most significant people in your life to have a guardrail in place. As a pastor, you want to know that I put guardrails in my, in, in my life, and I do. And I'm still learning to do that, and I put people in my life that speak into me, me in my life. Actually, the, the more I've gotten into my journey of my life, I've realized the more that I need to see these things, and I ask people to say it out loud, and sometimes it hurts, and that's a guardrail. It deems me, but I'm learning in wisdom to seek these things out and to identify them because I can't always identify it. And I have coaches, I have elders in my life, I have my wife, and sometimes even my kids speak into me in my life and say this. Well, how do you identify? How do you do this? Well, well you can practice. You know, like next time you watch The Bachelor. I know some of you watch The Bachelor. Don't, don't give me, no, don't. You'd be like, oh, there's greed. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, the jealousy. Je like, jealousy. <laughs> I mean, you could keep score. Like, that, that, I don't know, I've just created a really fun game. Like, let's keep a score of greed, anger, jealousy. Like, like I mean, it's a horrible show. And it's, I, I, think it's, I think it's no shock that any pastor would say this. I'm like, what is happening here? But, like, you can just track it. Greed, anger, um, jealousy, 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 jealousy. Uh, what's, what's what I'm missing? Guilt. You know, guilt might be harder because it's so inward. There you go. 
How do you, you can practice. Find something in you do. Any show that you watch, you know, what is this character displaying? And then kind of look in your life. Observe yourself or ask others, someone that loves you well, what do you see? That's not easy to do. But it could prevent a future regret. It could prevent a future regret. All right, so how do we do this? So there's four preventative things. Just like each thing says something to you, there are actions that you and I can take. And here we go. Here's the actions. Guilt. What do you do for guilt? This one's pretty obvious. You confess. You confess. Now, who do you confess to? Well, that depends on the situation. That's a guardrail. It's not always easy to do that. Sometimes you need to forgive yourself. There's, there's, there is such a thing as, as false guilt. It's not real. And you can forgive yourself. But tell somebody. Your reputation, your marriage may take a hit, but the damage is minimized. We wonder, how did this CEO do this insane thing? Like, how did this, how did, like, we wonder, and it's just seeping inside. We need forgiveness. You confess. Anger. Anger says, you owe me. How does anger leave you? You forgive. Forgive. Identify exactly what's been taken and cancel that date, that debt, excuse me. And if you see anger happen, you because you can see anger, you feel it, you know anger is there. And you may need to think deeply about this. And this is important. I encourage you to think deeply about that. That you cancel that debt. And somebody may have really hurt you. And so you would say, Well, I feel like I'm letting them off. And you are. You are. But here's the key thing, and you've probably heard this before, but you're letting yourself off as well. Anger controls you. It's your master. Three weeks ago, we talked about these things become our master. They will lead your life. You are not free. Anger, you forgive. You, you let them off. You let yourself off. What gives us the, the, the confidence to forgive is Christ. If we've been forgiven by Christ, we can forgive others. And sometimes you're never going to experience his forgiveness of you until you really forgive others. You really understand how powerful his forgiveness of us is. But we can trust him. He promises that I will not let anybody off the hook. He promises that to you, and that's good news to you and bad news because you've done bad things too, and you need that forgiveness as well. But you can forgive. You can forgive forgive. The damage is minimized. And you end up hurting the people that are closest to you because you won't forgive the person that hurt you. Forgive. Greed. Greed says, I owe me. I need to get it all. Well, how do you get rid of greed? You give. You give. Don't consume it all. 
You give first. We talked about it last week, a financial guardrail. If we trust God with our lives, we give first. We save and then we live on the rest. We have boundaries and patience in our lives. You need to write big to you checks. If you're struggling with greed and you're just constantly consuming things, you need to end that appetite. Some of you will never get out of debt. You don't know why you can't get out of debt. Some of you will never get out of debt until you learn to give consistently. Because your heart has been mastered and it's tied up. Don't wait to be asked. Give some precious objects away. Like if this hurts you in your heart, it probably means you need to give. As Christ followers, we're taught that we don't put our trust in riches. But we're learning to be rich in a different way, to be rich in good works. But we, 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 we trust him who richly provides for us. If there's tension in you, you probably need to do this. It will lead you to joy. Having stuff is not wrong. Having money is not wrong at all. But if it controls you or it is a priority for you over people, you need to give. Greed, you give. In fact, if you don't even feel greedy, you should learn to give. You make giving a habit of your life. It will keep you from greed. Greed's not just for the dude sitting on the top of you know, one Wall Street in the high rise across the river. Greed happens no matter how much money you have. All right, guilt, anger, greed, jealousy. Jealousy, we say, life owes me. You, you probably just need to acknowledge the real problem is you're really mad at God. Jealousy says God owes me. Life happens. But God can take what happens and make things happen if we receive Him. God wants to engage your life wherever you've been and whatever's happened to you. There's a good chance it's not been fair. But you have a God who was just treated unjustly, who was betrayed, who was hurt. He knows how you feel. So how do you get rid of jealousy? You celebrate. You celebrate that lousy, filthy coworker snuck, lied his way to get past you in that job. Send him that email. Send him a box of chocolates. Congratulate him. You might be biting your tongue all the way, but you need to learn to celebrate. Good job. And then you run away. Like, congratulations. You need to release your heart because that will control Celebrate what God has given you and celebrate out loud the success of others. Especially for those who, you, who have what you are tempted to think that you deserve. Man, how different would our country be if we just learned to do this one? Remember, jealousy is ugly. Confess, forgive, give, and celebrate. Confess, forgive, give, and celebrate. Uh, this week, we'll post this in our newsletter. Uh, we'll try to make it on our website, but we have a screen that we made. You can put this on your phone. Here's the four things you need to do. Confess, forgive, give, and celebrate. Confess, forgive, give, and celebrate. Above all else, above all else, guard your heart. 
Everything you do comes from grace. So let me ask you this question. Is everything okay with your heart? How's your heart? Your secrets? Are you mad? Are you obsessed with some, somebody or something? Are you having imaginary conversations <laughs> in your office? Clinging to things you have? Not happy with what you have? Your apartment? Your stuff? Your car? Your relationship? Are you celebrating someone's misfortune? These are tough things. They will master you. How is your heart? Let's let that go to God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for these words. God, we all need them. I need these words, and I thank you for the wisdom from the past of others who've helped us see these core things. Help us to trust you and believe you that we need to do work on our heart. We shouldn't ignore this, but let's take time and be wise to be intentional of how we lead our hearts. I pray we will do this this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.